Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm your co-host, Mike Broadbent. I'll be flying solo on the hosting side of this episode, but I'll be joined by AJ Black of the Locked On Boston College podcast in a few moments to break down everything you need to know about Boston College in the lead-up to Saturday's opener in Chestnut Hill. But first, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. You can find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. You could head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive 50% to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, and that'll be great for this upcoming Rutgers game if you're out of state. Uh, and that's Bet Online with game. Joining the show now is AJ Black of the Lockdown Boston College podcast. Uh, AJ, thanks for joining us, man, to talk a little bit about this game this weekend. Thank you for having me on, Mike. Yeah, of course. Uh, first thing I want to talk about, though, is uh, how last year went for Boston College. Uh, looks like you guys went 6-6. Six, six and six. You started 4-0, though, but obviously the whole season got derailed by Phil Jerkovich's wrist injury. But just tell me a little bit about what the team did well, what the team did poorly. It, you know, it was a tough season. Uh, you know, the, the expectations going into last year were really high. You had Jacoba coming back. You had Flowers, a good wide receiver. And then an offensive line that's been around together, I think it was two full years. So yep. you had a lot of high expectations and then all of a sudden Jacobic goes down and then you realize, Ooh, the backup that you have is not what you thought he was going to be. Cause Dennis <laughs> Grossell, you go back into his past. This kid is great. I had him on locked on BC a couple, a uh, couple months ago, amazing kid, but just, he just had a real hard time. You know, he, in 2020, he ends the season by t- tying Doug Flutie's single game passing record with oh, wow. 520 yards against, uh, against, against UVA kid went, you know, he's throwing it down the field. So you felt confident, but then I don't know what the regression piece was there. He just couldn't put it together and BC just had no passing attack. So they had to rely on uh, Pat Garwo who ran for a thousand yards to move the ball at any point, but you know, defenses weren't respecting the pass at all. So he was struck. He he did well, but he could only do enough. And then against good teams, the defense would do what they could do, which was play well, but get worn down. So you see our games against like, you know, Syracuse, where for two quarters or two and a half quarters, the defense is standing on their head trying to keep the BC in that game. But the offense can't even stay on the field. And eventually they wore down. Sean Tucker would then blow up and win it. Same thing with Louisville. BC holds on for two and a half quarters. The offense can't do anything. Then Malik Cunningham blows it up and they win. So it just, it was that kind of same rhythm throughout the year. Dracovic then comes back, but he's playing it. I would say even less than 50%. He plays against a terrible Georgia tech team and scorches them for five touchdowns. But other than that, he does not look comfortable because his hands still hurt. And he plays against Wake Forest in the season finale. 
and he's not only got a hand hurt, his hand hurt, but he's got the flu. So he's, you know, vomiting and whatever before the game. And so there's a lot going on there for BC. And it's just a year that you just have to just basically check out the window. Cause it's just, you know, there's no bowl game because half the team gets COVID or, you know, uh, enough of the team gets COVID that they can't even play. And so it, it, it was a weird year and just one that you have to kind of, you know, put a big X through and move on. Yeah. So I was looking at some of your defensive stats and your, your run defense is really poor last year in terms of just like where it stood in the, like the statistical element of it. And the pass defense is really good. Was that just a, the run defense was just getting challenged constantly because teams were wearing you down. Like just give us like an honest opinion of where your yeah. run defense is and where your pass defense is heading so, into this season. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a few things going on there and as I think struggled for two big reasons. First, the off the defensive line did not play well last year in any, you know, you look at the, well, that wasn't good. That being said, there was something else going on, which was something that halfway's trying to build, which is, is speed, you know, getting guys out to the corner that, to get, to prevent those extra three yards. They didn't have that last year. They didn't have a guy that could stop that. So it was a big issue. It was something that they, they struggled against, especially against mobile quarterbacks last year. The, the secondary, however, first of all, they have an excellent sec, uh, defensive backs coach, Nazar Abdur, him who will be either a defensive coordinator or a head coach before. He know, was he was next. a guy a lot of Rutgers fans wanted for our open uh, DB's job this past uh, this past winter. And you guys obviously have a defensive backs uh, coach and Jeff Hathley at, at the helm as well. So kind, yeah. kind of similar to how Rutgers is set up. Yep. Well, they're, they're, they have Josh DeBerry, who's one of the most underrated cornerbacks in the He's second team, either second or first team all ACC this year, depending on where you look. He was a preseason um, all ACC from what I saw first team. Yep, yep. And Jaden Woodbay, who I four star transfer from Florida State. So you have some real good talent back there. And and then CJ Burton, who is a, a sophomore, who is BC's highest rate of recruit in years. Uh, he's out. Um, you know, I think this. Is, talent in that secondary and i think that's why they played so well good coaching and talent i think this year is going to be a really interesting year because the the speed should be there at both the defensive line and linebacker position cam arnold is their uh, you know one of their starting linebackers he was a former safety uh he's put on some weight but he's also fast and last year they moved him from safety to linebacker there was a lot of moments where he just he you know in football it's instinctual you, you know, you see something you have to react. For. And he, he just hadn't, he didn't get there yet, but from everything we've heard and seen and talked to some of his, his teammates, he's, he's hit that next level. So I think he's going to be a, a big upgrade this year. Cause I think he's going to play at a higher level than he has in the past. And then some got more of the halfly linebackers next to him gone are the Steve Adazio thudders, the, the downhill guys that are, you know, two sixty that are big and, you know, physical, He's going for more of those hybrid linebacker slash safety guys. Bryce Steele is a four-star that was committed to South Carolina, and that's at BC. Jalen Blackwell, another safety that's now a linebacker. They're smaller, but they're fast, and I think that's what he's looking for to help with the with the run and the pass rush. Yeah, I was looking at your guys' uh, depth chart that got released this week, and your front seven does look pretty undersized, but I guess that's because you're you're going for a theme of speed versus size along your defense. And when you have Marcus Valdez out there, it's going to be undersized every time because he's like 5'10". 
<laughs> sure. And, and Rutgers fans should be familiar with him because I believe he went to Bosco in New Jersey, yep. correct? Yep. 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 He's been with BC for years. I'm sure he played against Rutgers in 2019. He's a New Jersey guy. This is a big game for him. Oh, sure. And it seems like half your defense are Jersey guys from looking at the depth chart as well yeah. between yep. between Valdez and Horsley and uh, Shidashila and Donovan Ezariku, Winnie, Vinny De Palma, Jalen Cheek. But we'll kind of get into those guys in a bit. Um, I did want to talk about the Rutgers connections on the coaching staff and also our roster. Um, if you could just kind of give me like the early returns slash like high level thoughts about what you guys kind of think about each of these coaches. And first we'll start off with your head coach, Jeff Hathley. I mean, he only worked for Shiano for, I think two years, yep. maybe one, uh, but he's a New Jersey guy. He was a thorn in our side as a recruiter at when he was at Pittsburgh, he was just landing all these top NJ kids. And then he came here and we saw, we saw the returns here. So what do you guys, what's the, uh, the, the overall opinion of how Jeff Halfley's doing at Boston college? Um, Jeff Halfley seems like a BC guy. And, and like, it sounds corny to say that, but you know, to get a guy that understands your program that can coach at a high level that has NFL um, experience there, there's something to be said there. And he seems, and again, coaches can have a lot behind the scenes, but Everything I've seen about him strikes me as genuine, like the guy that wants to be at Boston College. And to find those guys that can coach at a good level is hard to find. And he's he's done well. He's recruited at a nice, uh, you know, a good clip. And, you know, this year the, the numbers are down a little bit, but it's because BC isn't, you know, he doesn't have 24 recruits right now. Um, I, I like what he's done. I think he connects well with the fan base. They, they see him as a connectable coach. And that helps as well for a fan base that has been kind of um, disconnected. You know, Steve Adazio was gruff and fans didn't like him. Um, Jeff Halfley is, is the complete opposite. I think that's helped them him connect with the fans. Um, but I, I, I think he's a, he's a good fit for BC. And I think this is a big year for him after going six and six and six and five. Uh, he needs a big year this year though, to kind of keep the fans uh, rallied behind him. Absolutely. Third years are a big year for uh, all head coaches, and Sean is also in his third year back. Um, but kind of going with that theme, the offensive coordinator for Boston College is John McNulty, who spent two different stints at Rutgers, similar to the head coach. Uh, he was the head coach of arguably the best offense in Rutgers' modern history in 2007, where they had a 3,000-yard passer, a 2,000-yard rusher, and two 1,000-yard receivers. But then he had one of the worst offenses in Rutgers history under Chris Ash. So what are you hearing about John McNulty's offense and how it's going to mesh well with your with your personnel you got on offense? So I'm a, I'm very intrigued with bring Boston College for a few reasons because you know I look at what Frank Signetti, their former outgoing uh, offensive coordinator who's with Pitt who, now, who also was a former Rutgers offensive coordinator under yeah. Shiano. <laughs> Connections are crazy, you know. Yep. Um, but you know he was pro style to a fault. And I think that's what Halfley wants. He wants that pro style because he can sell it to recruits to get you ready for the NFL. He can sell it as a system. And it, it's, there's a lot of pro positives there, but Signetti, what he failed at was he was so stuck with that, that he couldn't put some of those college aspects that can catch opposing college defenses off guard. Everything I've heard from McNulty, Halfley, Jakovic, you name the guys on the offense. There's something about this offense. It's going to have some offensive college um, technique in there. And, and to me, when I see that what they have with Phil Jakovic, that strikes me as RPO. 
because this is a guy that can run the ball. He ran for three or two or three touchdowns against Georgia Tech last year. But Signetti never really had those designed runs. This is a kid that did, did it at Notre Dame. He did it in high school. I think McNulty's going to tap into that. I think he's going to tap into some other more, um, just more liberal ways of using that offense. And um, I think that's that's only a positive for BC because I think uh, Signetti did a lot of things not uh, well with BC. And, you know, he turned a team that couldn't throw the ball into one of the past offenses. But he also, you know, hit his wall. And I think McNulty had aspects to him that could take BC to that next level. Interesting. Yeah, I've noticed that in watching uh, Dracovic. He's he kind of, and this isn't a slight, he kind of reminds me of Carson Wentz in the way he plays, yep. where like he extends yep. a lot of plays. He kind of puts his body in like at risk to, to kind of extend for that extra half second to make a throw. And sometimes it's a brilliant play. Other times it looks like he's getting beat up out there. Is that like, is his style of play a concern? And is that something that the coaching staff is trying to get him to kind of rein back a little bit to keep him healthy for the season? Yes. And yes. And even he admits that he said in press conference this year, he's going to play less recklessly. And he, he knows, you know, we've watched him and you, you watch and you, and just like, kind of like you said, you kind of wince sometimes because he's like, he's getting twirled around. There's three, two, 300 pound guys slamming him. You want, you know, you given his history, every time he gets hit, you're like, Oh God, is he going to get back? Yeah. Um, he's got to, he's got to figure some stuff out and what we've heard and what he said. And again, we'll have to wait till we see it is that he's learned. I think there's a, a specific emphasis more on quick throws and quick reads something. He, I mean, if you watch the film with Jakovic, a lot of his stuff is long. He sits back there. He waits for Zay flowers to burn the cornerback 50 yards down the field and tries to chuck it to him. He can't play hero ball like that because it's going to get him hurt. And there's, he misses some of the underneath stuff that's there. And he, he even says that himself, he's got to, and I think this is a spot where improve this year. And if he can do it, you know, the lack of, uh, you know, experience on that offensive line shouldn't be that big of a difference, but if he's going to sit back there and get hit, he, he could get hurt. And at this point, that's three straight seasons with injuries. And I felt notice that, you know, for and, sure. And, and he want you know he has every potential to be a first round draft pick. You know you mentioned Carson Wentz there, but if he's hurt, they're not going to pick him for sure. And I mean I meant that in he has those kind of skills as well. He has those yep. he has a strong arm. He's got the mobility, but it seems like he just kind of plays a little recklessly, and that's obviously something he's actively working on. Um, so I, I want to finish going through these coaches, but I do, I think we, we mentioned a lot that you just said that I kind of want to circle back to at some point. Uh, so yep. your defensive coordinator is Tim Luckaboo. Um, he coached under Shiano, I believe as a graduate assistant and also at Tampa Bay. What does the team think about him and how has he been? At, Cause I think he was your DC last year as well. Correct. Yep. He's been in the DC for the last two years. And he is a, he's a guy that I think if BC can put their, entire defense together and, and, and make them make that a, a real strength, you know, you, you know, defense, it's going to be the run defense pass rush. Like I was just saying on another podcast, and I just said, he strikes me as a guy that could be a G five candidate for a head coaching position in the next two years. Um, he has a ton of respect in the locker room. They love him. 
and he communicates well. He he has a good scheme. Um, he's just been waiting for the talent to match it, and I think he's got that now. And you know he's had you know a top five passing at, uh, defense last year. Um, you know that he's he's been able to pull some talent out of guys that I just didn't I didn't think he could uh, in two years, and this year he's got the talented guys there. So I think Lokobu is is very hot coordinator uh, that could be hot in terms of like, you know, interest from other programs. And if he has a big year this year. Uh, yeah, that's, that's good to hear. He was, he seemed like a, a, Shiana, a guy Shiana really liked when he was uh, both in at Rutgers and in Tampa Bay. Next up is former uh, Rutgers quarterback. And uh, he's really been an ascending coach through both the NFL and college ranks is a uh, QB, QB coach, Steve Shimko. What do you got? What have you heard about him as a coach? It's, it's interesting. I, I, you know, they did not make any buzz when he got moved to quarterbacks coach. I, I only found out about it when I looked at the depth. Hey, wait, he's not tight ends coach anymore. <laughs> um, you know, he's had that experience. You know, he was the quarterbacks coach in Seattle with the Seahawks yep, yep. with Russell Wilson. Um, you know, very engaging guy. I'm, I, you know, he's done a nice job with the tight ends. You know, he, he, Hunter Long is now a, he was a third round draft pick out of Miami uh, ago. And he's, he's got his NFL career in front of him. And then they brought in Trey Berry out of Jacksonville state last year, FCS all American. Um, he does a nice job with those guys. I'm, I'm very interested to see what he does with quarterbacks though. And, um, it, it, you know, if he can, you know, as I mentioned with Jakovic, helping him figure out the short stuff, helping him figure out, not getting himself killed every time he throws the ball. <laughs> um, I think that's important stuff. And and if Shimko can do that, I, you know, I think he's a guy, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, there's a lot of, you know, if you bring up Savon Huggins, he's, he's one on the rise. Yep, that's what I want to talk about next. Okay. <laughs> so you could go right into him. All right. So we'll go to Savon Huggins. Uh, Savon Huggins. I think it, it says a lot that he comes in and replaces a BC legend that they just pushed out. So Richie Gannell uh, was the running backs coach. He's a former BC wide receiver. He had a big career at BC. Uh, one of the biggest moments in the last 20 years was him getting right in Jimmy Clausen's face and uh, screaming at him at, <laughs> after a game. It's it's something the fans put up all the time. I mean, they released him. He was an interim head coach after Adazio left for the bowl game. They let him go. He's now. Is this the Friday. kind of guy who like survives like four coaching staffs? Oh yeah, yeah. He was okay. the only. He was the only holdover from Adazio. Oh wow! Because they wanted the you want BC connection, right? Two years later, he's gone, and Savon was his back. You know, he was his assistant last year. They put him in, and I think a lot of it has to do with Halfley really wanting to make sure that he can still recruit New Jersey because Savon obviously has a huge background in that, that area. Absolutely. And, and he's also a guy that a lot of Rutgers fans really wanted to join the staff. And I am pretty sure they did reach out to Savon. And I think he was loyal to Halfley giving me a, giving, giving him a shot. Cause I think he was at Buffalo before you guys hired him. Correct. UMass. Uh, UMass. No. Okay. Uh, was he? No, he was the, I think he oh, was no, no, at no, UMass, but not like he was, he got hired, but never actually coached there. He was there for like a few months. If that, yes, if I recall yeah, yeah, correctly. Yep. Yeah. You're right. Yep. Um, But Savon is a very interesting kid. 
a guy. I mean, he just had a baby and I, I talked to him today. That was something I connected with. I think we talked about it for a while, but I think he's got, I, I, I like what he can do. Um, especially on the recruiting trail because the positional coaches yep, yep. are important in terms of practices, but important. I thought Jeff Halfley didn't do a great job recruiting New Jersey in the class of 2022. It was fine. You got Peter Della Portis, a quarterback, but other than that, I didn't I, you know, I thought Rutgers and, and Greg Shiano specifically did a, a much better job of recruiting the state. And so I, I, th- I saw the hire of Huggins almost as a, as a re- response to that. Like, look, we're going to continue, you know, halfway obviously has, there's a lot of guys that have that, that, that area expertise in that area. But I thought Huggins, like you're going for one of the biggest recruits in that state. One of the biggest recruits Rutgers ever got and putting him on your staff. That was, that was a statement right there. And I think he's a good fit for half of staff. And, you know, we'll have to wait to see how he does with that, with that unit this year. Absolutely. And you guys have this baked in advantage of being a private Jesuit school in the Northeast that is just far away enough from New Jersey where like these kids from Bergen Catholic, from Paramus Catholic, from Don Bosco, like most of the kids who go there come from some sort of wealth and they don't necessarily, they kind of look down on Rutgers. So you guys have that built in advantage uh, being so close. And also, I mean, they typically go to Boston, like Notre Dame first and then Boston College second, which isn't necessarily a slight on anybody. It's just Notre Dame is Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, But and, and BC has the history there, right? You look at like yep. Brian Toll and oh yeah, you know, like you go down the history of BC recruiting in that state. That's something they can build on. Yeah, you guys have poached a ton of New Jersey kids over the years. I, I think one of our uh, coaches, Augie Hoffman, is a New Jersey guy. Went to Boston College yep. for college, went to the NFL, and uh, uh, he's a great offensive line coach. He moved over uh, this year, um, yep. but I do kind of want to talk about your guys' key losses and key returners. Yep. Um, and I, I want to start with the offensive line because it seems like the the elephant in the room for not necessarily the elephant room for you guys, but it seems to me as a, a casual observer, somebody who doesn't really know much about Boston College, uh, you guys had four, five starters from last year, all gone, four to the NFL, one due to uh, an ACL in the offseason, 200 combined career starts. You lost your offensive line coach to the NFL but there's a lot of optimism amongst Boston College fans that your offensive line might actually look better this year. And yep. to me, that's just kind of blowing my mind. So just talk a little bit about what you lost and why there might be optimism for Boston College heading into 2022 along the offensive line. So I, I have I have said the same thing, and I will stay consistent with what I've said, is that there, this is a talented group. There's three former four-star recruits in this group. They just and, and I love Dave DeGuglielmo. I'll get into him in a second. They just need to be serviceable, and I think this group is good enough to be serviceable because, you know, last year there was a lot of hype about BC's offensive line. You know, you go you look at all the preseason all ACC uh, rosters, and it's like filled with BC offensive linemen. You watch the games; they didn't play that way. Yeah, and it's weird because PFF graded you guys out really know. well last year. I, I don't get that. They also they had like Jacoby 2020 rated as like the 125th best quarterback in the country, which they hadn't rated well last year though. I think he was in the eighties as, uh, as a quarterback. Yeah. I, I looked at PFF before when I was writing up the offensive line, I was like, wow, they really did like them. So, but there's talent. Johnson, who's now with the Los Angeles chargers. was a first round yep. draft pick. Christian Mahogany, another New Jersey guy. Yep. Um, Catholic. Yep. Um, he, <laughs> Follow him on Twitter if you want to see if he actually plays again this year because he's been teasing it like crazy. Um, yep. 
<laughs> we all we all saw that we were speculating like could a guy who tore his acl in june come back for the season and we had a few doctors come on and be like no there's absolutely no possible way unless it wasn't ex- as extensive as an injury as it was originally let on if the season goes well i i've heard buzz like around that notre dame game in november would be five six months removed from when he got hurt so i don't think he'll play but you had mahogany and johnson play really well Lindstrom was fine uh, Tyler Vrabel, Mike Vrabel's son. I, I don't know what was going on with him. I he's hurt a lot. And they just throw in random guys on top of that. A lot of it, though, to me, was scheme. You know, they did a lot of zone reads. You know, zone blocking. And Matt Applebaum. I, I don't. I don't have anything negative to say to him. But it surprised me that an NFL team hired him. Um, I guess if you're going to go anywhere, it's a San Francisco disciple zone blocking scheme in, in Miami makes sense. Like you, it really is like a, a lot of offensive line play scheme specific, but I, I get it. If, if you don't have the personnel, you probably shouldn't try and fit a square peg in a round hole. Right. Right. And so they replaced him. You know, they, they replaced this unit with three former stars, Ozzy Trapillo, whose dad was an NFL uh, offensive lineman, Drew Kendall. His dad was Pete Kendall, who knew, um, new folks may know uh, and then you know they have on top of that and i'm blanking on who the oh, finn durstein another offensive guard who's a four-star out of lawrence academy where aj Dillon came from you get yeah, he's a he's a redshirt senior right and he's never had a start he's been injury bitten for three or okay. four years um but he everyone's been asking about him. where is where is he you get those guys you get uh kevin klein who i think will start who was a very late commitment, but he came in at like 370 when they oh when they recruited God. him. He's down to 315, which I want to learn his weight loss plan. We have a similar uh, story. Uh, we have a guy who's going to probably play a lot uh, on Saturday. His name is uh, Holland Pierce. He's six foot eight. He came into Rutgers at 455 pounds. Oh my God. And he, and he got down okay, so to your story beats ours. <laughs> well, no, he was a walk on. So he was a guy that like they found late and he was like a really good athlete. He got down to like 300 pounds within yep. one year, and I don't know how he lost all that. And then he built himself back up to 330. So, yeah, it's 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 wild what these strength and conditioning programs can do to these guys. So yeah, Klein, I think will play, and I've heard nothing but great things. But you know, in the end of the day, you look at one of the biggest questions when any team is talked about. It's you know experience. Sure, Ozzy Trapillo played a little bit. Jack Conley played a little bit. He'll be at one of the starting tackles. Sounds like Jack Conley struggled a bit last year, oh though. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he struggled. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was – I don't want to bash the kid because he's a nice kid, but he he really had some tough tough outings out there. But BC's had offensive linemen like that before where um, Aaron Montero, who I think is with Carolina right now, at least he's been for years. He I remember him coming in as a freshman and watching him. All I could, all I could compare it to was a guy on skates. Like he just could not stop <laughs> anyone and he was terrible. By the end, he was an all ACC uh, offensive lineman. So this guy, there's way for guys to, develop, and that gets me to Dave DeGuglielmo, who, the, who is their offensive line coach, who has been literally everywhere. You know, he was the offensive line coach for the Dolphins, the Colts, the um, BC, uh, sorry, not BC, uh, the Patriots, Louisiana last year. He has 30 years of experience. And unlike Applebaum, who was an offensive line coach, I think for like five years total, this is a guy that's been around forever. 
And I think it's a perfect fit for BC. So you got a you got an offensive line that has a lot of talent, but rightfully, you know, there's concerns about their experience within a very experienced offensive line coach. I think that's a good fit. And again, I don't expect this group to play great, but if they play serviceable, play against teams and not again, not a knock on Rutgers, but play well against a team like Rutgers, we'll, we'll wait to Clemson and Notre Dame for another time. <laughs> sure. And, you know, I think that that could, sh- they could show and, you know, they're the X factor in this game. Yeah. I think Rutgers kind of feels a, a lot of the same sentiments for their offensive line. Like our offensive line was terrible last year and we just need something serviceable, like yep, <laughs> something yep. that could actually like have an offense be like built on top of it and not just a quarterback have a, a second and a half and you can't develop anything downfield and yep. you have a weak armed quarterback to begin with. But I, I totally understand where you're coming from there. I do want to kind of talk, what, what would you say are the three biggest strengths and the three biggest weaknesses of this Boston College team? And, and we can start with strengths. All right. So biggest strength for BC is their secondary. You know, we already talked about, we talked about Josh DeBerry, but they've, they've got, they have some talent behind them, like Elijah Jones, CJ Burton, uh, another New Jersey guy. Uh, who's, yep. Who was on the uh, again? Because <laughs> practices are like Fort Knox. There, I was surprised <laughs> that he was a starter <laughs> on the. Uh, yeah, very um, familiar with uh, Rutgers being basically locked down the same way with practice. Yeah, um, but they've got some great, real good depth there and some really good talent. And obviously, when you have Halfley, who has the experience, and he jokes about it, like I got to watch the offense more. He said earlier because, <laughs> and then he said that, and then the next practice, we we watch him and he's out there watching the secondary and we were like, so you watch the offense. He goes, yeah, he caught me. <laughs> he, goes, it's a, it's a, it's a, he goes, the challenge is real for me. You know, like I just want to watch the defense. So you have sure. the, but you have that, that, that camaraderie there between him and his over him and Lokobu. So I like that secondary. That's a, that's a big strength for BC. The other big strength for B passing game, you know, I look at all these different statistical analysis and they all just put BC last year and, play it forward to this year and it's 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 something that strikes me as like you we haven't seen what bc's offense can do uh jacovic healthy with zay flowers and jalen gill a four-star from ohio state who has played healthy and hurt they have a four-star receiver joseph griffin who's a true freshman six four you know zay flowers said he's you know he, he referred to him as an athletic freak watching some of his local school games from massachusetts that's exactly what he is He's on the two deep right now as a backup, but I'm telling you, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play sooner rather than later. Um, yeah, I noticed a lot-, a lot of your receivers are, are pretty undersized. There was one guy who I, I I don't his name is escaping me, but he was a guy Aiden who Williams. performed. Uh, he performed really well in your last two spring games, and he was the only receiver that uh, you guys had play last year that seemed to be over like six foot tall. Uh, J- Taji Johnson. Yeah. Taji Johnson. Yep. Yep. He he he's played well at every spring game, and. I, every BC fan has been waiting for him to get his opportunity for Joseph Griffin shows up with very good speed. You know, he was recruited by Notre Dame and Ohio state though. He never really announced their offers. He was offered by them. Um, he, he's, he's going to take Taji's spot. I'm telling you right now. And mm-hmm. it stinks because Taji is a great kid. He does a lot of different things on campus and um, I've, I've wanted to see him succeed so far, but, you know, I think their wide receivers, their second big strength, their third big strength to me, it's got to be Patrick Garwo in the, in the running backs Garwo um, every year 
on Lockdown Boston College, I have a joke now. I'm going on a podcast. I do it daily. I have a year, every year, one guy I completely whiff on. And like, I get yelled at by their parents. I get emails about like, you're dissing my son. And then I'm completely wrong about them. And I will own it. I am, I'm not a host that will uh, try to spin how, how I was actually right. If I'm wrong, I will own it. And so two years ago, I was wrong on Josh DeBerry and his parents called me out on it. (laughs) I will own it. Last year, I was dead wrong on Pat Garwo. His dad emailed me and said, hey, you're sleeping on my kid. You have him as the fourth running back. I know he was a high rated recruit because Rutgers was recruiting him as well. He's a PA kid. He was a four star running back. Yeah. I mean, I I just based off of what I had seen with Halfley, I will. I expected him to go with more of the undersized running backs, guys like Xavier Coleman, another New Jersey guy. I get it. I was wrong. So guy that I thought would be, you know, I think is going to have a big year. Hey, my, 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 I'm going to be wrong this year. Guy is another New Jersey guy. Sheeta Salah, um, who I, I, I have said all year long. I'm like, they're going to move past him and watch. He's going to leave the team in sacks. I'm just going to call it. Um, who would you say are the breakout players if you had to project one on, on defense and offense for, for right, Boston so College? Break, breakout on defense is going to be Cam Arnold, who's one of their starting linebackers. He, as I, I think I've said it on your podcast. I've been on so many Rutgers podcasts. I can't even keep track of what it is. Yeah, I don't about. worry about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> he is a, a – um, he's converted from safety. Uh, so he's a guy with speed. But last year he played like he didn't know where he was supposed to be. And this year he's everyone's saying he's, he's much more confident. He knows what his role is, but he has the speed of a safety. I like that. I think that's going to be a big thing for their defense. I think that's going to make a big difference for BC. So on defense, Cam Arnold, watch for him on offense. The X factor to me is George Takis, a transfer tight end from uh, Notre Dame. He's a four star. Uh, He had, if you look at his stats, you're going to go, why, why are you putting him there? AJ? He has eight catches as a career. Well, you know why? Because he was behind Michael Meyer in Notre Dame, who is one of the best. Pretty good. Yeah, he's (laughs) very good. And, you know, talking to Notre Dame folks, I've talked to some beats over there, and they said, you know, Takis has the potential to be a starting tight end who can catch the ball. They just never did that because they had Meyer there. Um, so I've heard out of camp and and that he, you know, talked to some other folks, some of my other sources. He is wiry. He can catch the ball. That's perfect for Jakovic's offense because when defenses are all zoned in on Zay, because Zay can do a lot, you know, guys like Takis underneath can then catch the ball, make big plays. So he's my, he's my X factor. Gotcha. What would you say Boston college's biggest weaknesses are? Offensive line. Offensive line. Okay. (laughs) I got to go with that. I, I could also, I could also say, the pass rushes is a worry too. And I look at the starting four on their defensive line. And I say, unless Halfley decides to jump one of the um, upperclassmen, which I kind of hope he does, if they're not doing what he thinks they need to do. And they're not a knock on them. I'm just saying if you, you got to play the best guys out there. Um, they, I don't see them improving. I mean, Marcus Valdez, no offense to him has been on this roster. feels like seven years now. And you know what you're going to get with him. He's, he's a perfect DE2. He's not a he's not a guy that's going to change games, but he can make good plays. It's that other position going to be Salah. Is it going to be somebody else? Donovan Azaraku. 
Azaraku is an orb, and that that surprised me honestly because Halfley has been effusive in his praise of Salah all offseason. Then boom, you got Azaraku in there as a as a potential starter. You know, I that off that defensive line has got to step up. Yeah, ironically, Azaraku is the high school teammate of one of our starting defensive ends, uh, Aaron Lewis. They both played at Williamstown High School in New Jersey. Um, just a funny little wrinkle there. Yeah, no kidding. Um, complete this sentence. I'm going to give you a few scenarios. Boston College wins if they can move the ball on offense. That's fair. Rutgers wins if they uh, stay on the field for third downs. If BC can't stop them on third downs, I I would I would pick Rutgers there. Yeah, I think the the trenches are going to play a huge role in this game uh, on both yep. sides, both Rutgers defensive line versus Boston College's offensive line and vice versa. And I, I, I think it's going to be as simple as that. I think it's going to be whoever wins the trench warfare of this game because I, I, I do think it's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be low scoring and ugly, but that's just my opinion based on everything I read and based on yeah. everything with Rutgers. Like there's so many unknowns too. Like we don't even know who's going to be the Rutgers starting quarterback this, this game. Like they're, they're yep. keeping everything close to the vest. Boston College is keeping everything close to the vest. So I think the the line is set at a fair number, but there's just so many unknowns. And week one or week zero of college football is always such a, a Pandora's box because so much kind of gets revealed in right before our eyes. So I think it'll be a fun game. Um, do you have any recommendations for Rutgers fans in terms of places to go in near the stadium? Because yep. I know yep. there's not a big tailgate scene at Boston College. No, there's not. <laughs> in <laughs> fact, um, every year... I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to announce this to my podcast later today. Um, I skip covering. I'm a BC grad. I got married at BC. I worked for BC. You know, as much as I like to stay neutral and cover it, and believe me, the Rutgers fans have told me that I'm not as neutral as I. Yeah, uh, I think I think the part of that is coming from some of your other writers, though, predicting like a 30 point win. Uh, I don't think they took that well, <laughs> Mitch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go to this game because I'm gonna take my son to it. He's dying. He he thinks he's so excited to see J- Jeff Halfley again because he went to the spring <laughs> game and Halfley had this T-shirt cannon and he thinks it's gonna happen again. And I'm like, no, it's not what he does during the game. Um, yep. But if you're a, a Rutgers fan going and you're looking for a place, go to Cityside. Cityside is the away bar. It's about a, about a walk from campus. You have to walk around the reservoir to get there. It's a good. I like I like City Side on non-game days. I good food, good beer. Um, it's a good spot. Uh, and it's usually where the away fans uh, congregate before a game. That being said, you can just. I mean, I'm telling you right now, if you're a Rutgers fan, you can find parking in Brighton, which is the town over. You walk 15 minutes, bring a cooler if, or a bag of beer and food with you. You can find a spot to just kind of plop down on campus and hang out. They have beer trucks that were new last year and food trucks that you can hit up. So it's a little better. I mean, it's not what you get down, but it's, it's marked that bands on campus. Uh, it's, it's, it's more improved than what you've seen in the past. So those, those would be my recommendations for you. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, AJ. Uh, is there anything you want to plug like where they can find you on, uh, on the different social media platforms? Yeah, definitely check me out on, um, Locked on BC. That's a daily BC podcast. I've been talking about Rutgers all week and a bunch of you have been on my comments telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about. I love it. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I, you know, I miss it. And I, I, in, I was on another podcast. 
I I am so impressed with how passionate Rutgers fans are right now. Um, even if I don't agree with what they're telling me, because I'm I'm I am a BC grad. So I remember when Boston College and Rutgers were both in the Big East. I, I was at on campus at the time, and I I, I this part of me is the local rivalries. You know the yep, BC. Same. BC and Syracuse, you know, Syracuse Pitt and West Virginia. I, I like that. And I kind of, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a romantic part of me that hopes that in the end of all this, you know, conference realignment, that, that the big 10 does go huge and has a, you know, quadrant that the old big East with Rutgers, Boston college, Syracuse Pitt, West Virginia. And we get those regional stuff because the, there was something about that, that where, you know, this, obviously it's fun to play Clemson, but you know, th- to play a team from New Jersey, to play a team from New York, you know, I think there that that piece is missing in college football. And so I, I am so excited for this game. I'm going to be going to it um, and uh, I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, the irony is BC left when ACC, I think in 2005, you guys joined the ACC. Yep. And yep. we thought we had like, you know, we were just stranded and we ended up, you know, getting picked up by a super yacht by the Big Ten. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Kind of everything worked out to the best possible way it could have. Um, but yeah, this, this realignment Cle- thing's crazy. <laughs> you can look at Clemson and say, hey, we're making more money than you guys are. <laughs> well, the, the weird thing is like the ACC totally blew the last uh, media rights negotiations with the 20-year contract and signing away uh, like the grant of rights, I believe it is. Yep. Oh, so yeah. it's like really tough to get out of that contract. So do you yeah. think that that's going to be an impediment to say, I haven't even heard of the Big Ten showing interest in ACC schools. And I wonder if that's the primary reason. The the grant of rights is so restricted because you got to imagine that right now the SEC would be looking at like Clemson, Florida sure. State, or Miami or UNC. The 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 basically, if any of those schools leave between now and 2036, they lose all the money they would make from any pro any conference that signs them. Wow. So it makes no so it makes no sense for them to leave. I think. You know, it's going to be a slow roll here, but you just saw it a little bit with the Big 12 today where we kind of renegotiated. I think the ACC has to, you know, ESPN, yeah, they're going to want to, you know, get the best deal they can for a conference and, and broadcasting their their programming. They also don't want to have a conference that they're basically fleecing to the point where they can't be competitive anymore, right? Yeah, there That's needs to be some viability business. there. And I don't see a path to viability given the contract you guys have in the ACC. Right, so they, they've got to figure out ways to make to give the conference more money. And I think that's what's going to eventually happen because ESPN is going to get money out of the ACC, but they also need to figure out how to keep them afloat of them falling behind everyone else, you know? Totally. So I know you you've said that you're saving your prediction until your Friday show, but what's your opinion on how this game goes? Ah. Give mine afterwards. All right. So let's let's get the uh, Scarlet Knights fans with the pitchforks at AJ. <laughs> I'm I'm ha- I'm happy to do it because I, this I look I look at the different. You know, Rutgers has a struggling offensive line. BC has a struggling offensive line. BC has a good defensive backfield or backfield to me when i look at the big strengths and weaknesses there's one glaring issue between the two schools and that's quarterback. Quarterback. Yep. and to me 
if people are sleeping on Phil Dracovic, and I think he's going to have a big season. And this is what pissed off Rutgers fans on my podcast. That's fine. I think he's going to have a big game. And if he doesn't do it, Garwell will, because if they're going to sit back and try to defend the pass, he's going to be able to run the ball. I think, I think BC is going to cover the spread here. And I'm not going to go with what Mitch had, which was like 20 points plus I had him at like 14 to 17. I think BC wins this. Um, I, I think Rutgers puts a scare into them to start, but I think BC, I think the quarterback position is such a glaring uh, positional difference here that I think BC has that, that, and I think that'll give them the win. Yeah. I see this, like I said earlier, being a pretty ugly game. Um, I think Rutgers has a couple advantages, one being in the special teams. So if, if Rutgers can create a big play, they have like the most block kicks since like 2009. Yep. Uh, obviously they have an all world punter and yeah, <laughs> they have an all world punter in and uh, Adam Corsack. So if we, if we pin you guys back deep and make you guys, you know, put, put forth 90 yard drives constantly, I think you just have to kind of keep, keep going at it and hope that Djokovic makes a mistake. Hopefully we can, generate pressure against the green offensive line. If we're not able to generate pressure though, it's going to be an ugly game. But if we can generate pressure, I think yep. Rutgers can win, but there's a lot of ifs because we don't know what the offense is going to look like. Not only at quarterback at offensive line, I think our receivers are better this year, given that we got Aaron Crookshank coming back. Sean, yeah, Sean Ryan as a transfer. We got Tosh Harris as a transfer. I think that receiving core is better. So I think we've improved in a lot of ways, but I, I, I honestly have no idea what to expect. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Rutgers kind of knows that this is such a vital game to win. If you're going to make a bowl that they throw like the whole playbook at Boston college. So that's mm-hmm. another, another element to look into this. Uh, so if the trick plays don't work and we're not able to generate pressure, it's going to be a long day, yep. but we shall and, see. And you have the potential of starting to, it lo- I mean, again, it's the or game on that depth chart to potential former BC defensive linemen starting on offensive line. Yeah, Chifani, I, I'd be shocked if he starts. Um, Ireland Brown played a lot of guard last year. Or sorry, he's now Ireland Burke, I believe. Yeah. Uh, or, or yep. maybe, no, he was Burke. He's now Brown. Sorry. Um, and then Johnny Langan, of course, who was there as, at Boston College for a year as a quarterback. He's now a full time tight end. Uh, he's he's honestly one of our most versatile offensive players, and I think he probably would have gotten a lot more offers in high school if he uh, wasn't insistent on being a quarterback coming out. Yep. Um, but he's developed into a real weapon on offense for us. So it, it's it's just so strange, all the connections uh, between Rutgers and Boston College heading into this game. Yeah, absolutely. But once again, I really appreciate you coming on uh, and doing this with us. I know it's pretty late on the East Coast right now. Uh, so uh, this has been another edition of the Night Report podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.